back, everybody, for another spirited and awesome conversation with me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick the Me Part, and right there, wearing stripedy pants and, no, stripedy shirt and, and pants. I don't know where that was going. <laughs> what the hell, man? Are you Mr. Blackwell all of a sudden? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not even wearing an 80s t-shirt today. Oh. I'm wearing a t-shirt that my mother-in-law got me when they were on vacation. I think it has a pirate on it and says, original bad boy. Oh, nice. Because my mother-in-law thinks I'm kind of a jerk. So. <laughs> Which I am to her, so. <laughs> it's completely warranted. All right. It's understandable. <laughs> she couldn't find a t-shirt that said original dick. Yeah. <laughs> my son-in-law is a dick. <laughs> Uh, so let's see, he's me. <laughs> let's see, listen, this is going to be like an Abbott and Costello routine. He's me, his name is Nick. I am Mr. 80s, my name is Daryl. <laughs> and that's where we get the me and Mr. 80s part. And today, uh, we're going to be talking head on about a topic that I think has kind of been a, uh, undercurrent in a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, which is technology. And I know it's kind of a broad topic, but it kind of it, it relates to a lot of things that we do because number one, uh, this show is a podcast, something that did not exist what fifteen, definitely not fifteen years ago, but mm-hmm. ten years ago even about ten. Yeah, I mean, in incredibly small and rare forms. And so, without technology, we wouldn't even be able to do this show, and you know, have not only our friends and family listen to the show, but have people from literally all over the world listen to the show. And I'm not making that shit up. There's literally people from all over the world who have sampled yes. the show, and it's quite amazing. So, you know, I can't really knock technology too much, and yet I will, because I really <laughs> freaking hate technology. I hate how accelerated it's become, and I think this is interesting, because you have embraced technology, and I'm not, and I'm not saying you're wrong, because I mean, many, many well, I'm people. I'm never wrong, so. <laughs> many people have embraced technology, whereas I am very reluctant to get involved with technology. How reluctant? I do not have a cell phone. I have no desire to get a cell phone. I'm not even talking about not having a smartphone. I mean, I don't even have one of the little flippy things that you can talk on. Uh, we have a laptop at home, but not a home computer. I do not have an iPod or an iPad. CDs are perfectly fine with me. I plan on buying my music on CD until they stop making them. I have no desire to download music digitally. Uh, I'm really all about you know the physical product, which you know, we're kind of mm-hmm. getting away from. Quite Meanwhile, there's you. You've kind of mastered this whole idea of streaming stuff. I mean, you stream your music. You stream your... Uh, your visual programming, as far as you know, TV and movies and stuff like that. So there's, just, there's a lot to a lot to talk about. I mean, literally, I when I want to unwind, I go to my man cave. I put in a DVD of a TV show from the 1970s <laughs> and watch it. I mean, lately I've been watching Kojak, the aforementioned legendary Quincy. I've been watching the Rockford Files. I've been watching Starsky and Hutch. I've been watching a show called Police Story. And as we hmm. talked about, you know, one of the things I like about it is that there's just so much more old school and relaxed and a slower pace. And I really hmm. feel as though technology is turning us into a nation of overbred chihuahuas. 
where we're just so so plugged in and have to be plugged in. Uh, there's a commercial running right now uh, where for some phone that I guess the battery lasts longer. <laughs> yeah. And there's all these people talking about what a freaking tragedy it is when their cell phone battery dies <laughs> and how they can't survive without their cell phone. And I just, I mean, I literally laugh out loud when I see it because I don't <laughs> even have a cell phone. I can't even, I can't even relate to this anxiety on any level. Of what that must be like, where your frickin' cell phone battery is so important to you that when it dies, you act like your grandmother has just died. <laughs> so that's kind of my preamble about technology. I give the court to you. Uh, I love technology. I, I want everything bigger, faster, better now. I haven't had cable except for one month where we tried to get it back and... Uh, found out it was a complete waste of all time and money for five years. Uh, and uh, it's been, you know, uh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, even, you know, iTunes and such, uh, streaming media content, you know, uh, MLB off of uh, in the Internet and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, I think, you know, the, the world is designed for new and better ways to receive content and you know podcasts are totally uh, a great way to get interesting entertainment news information uh i mean there, there's so much incredible technology out there that i just i can't stand to be without it i my my new thing is uh, uh getting magazines digitally i love magazines i love the content uh, I love when someone, you know, rather than having to go to uh, someone's blog and having to sift through the content, frankly, I don't have the time for that. I want someone to, you know, be the Rolling Stone, to be, you know, uh, I don't know, through whatever content, you know, Sports Illustrated. I want someone else to filter out the content, give me the, the best stuff, give me the good writers, give me the good information. But I want them to do it digitally because I fucking hate having all this paper delivered to my house all the damn time. You know, plus I love the interactivity of it where they now include video content and you can now click on, you know, something within the magazine to get extra content that you couldn't get out of a paper magazine. I think that is a wonderful concept and, and I totally support it. There's a, an article online um, that I read. Some, uh, some father... I wish I could remember the state. I apologize. Um, his uh, young teenage daughter, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, had passed away from cancer. And he had voicemails from her uh, saved in his voicemail box. Mm -hmm. And uh, would find himself uh, playing these messages a couple times a week just to hear the voice of this daughter who had who had passed away <clears throat> and he switched to a new plan with his carrier and they did not tell him that it was going to involve blowing up his uh, existing voicemail system and so one day he went to hear his daughter's voice and they weren't there anymore and now they tell him that uh, they can't get them back 
the point is not whether they really can get it back or not. Uh, the point is not that the father probably should have backed those up. The point is, if we had been back in the days of an answering machine was an actual physical cassette tape that was in a machine inside your house, this would not have happened. I say that not as a C, I'm right. I just, <laughs> I, I say it as a comparison of what can happen when we allow companies off-site in cyberspace to when we count on them to hold our information for us it it removes an element of control that mm-hmm. uh that frankly bugs me um, uh, i i consider that a necessary evil um to me i think you know you're you're it's up to you to keep track of your own technology and information and I think if you uh, if you go onto the internet in any sort of way, shape, or form, whether it's you know uh, an iTunes app or whether it's you know a website or anything like that, I think the po- the point that I find find funny is that people think it's secure, and um, it's not at all. I mean. Uh, there was recent times where, you know, uh, these hacker groups like Anonymous and Lulsec were uh, targeting, you know, not just corporations, but just random people within corporations and starting to release information. You know, uh, if hackers want to fuck with you, they absolutely can. If you are on the Internet, your information, no matter how much someone wants to guarantee your security, complete bullshit. There, there are people out there who just, you know, for no good reason other than they're smart, incredibly smart, and incredibly talented and bored, can just destroy you for no good reason. So, I don't really do anything on the internet thinking that I am safe, secure, and anonymous. But other than that, I don't care, you know? I go through stuff. I buy stuff all the time. I mean, Amazon loves me like a fucking brother. Now, when you're so, buying stuff, are you buying downloads, or are you actually having physical stuff shipped to your house? Both. Because one thing that, uh, with with the downloads of things, and I, I have not watched enough uh, movie downloads to know, but of course, uh, music downloads are notorious for sounding like shit because <laughs> of the format. And I do know that audiophiles that try to defend the practice, you know, they kind of talk about that what iTunes has got, like lossless files or whatever, but apparently mm-hmm. they're enormous and they cost a lot of money. So, you know, just yeah. in the, in MP3s suck. And for the longest time, music was all about what sounded better. It was this race to what sounds better. Mm-hmm. I mean, every advancement in technology was about what sounds better. And then... You know, Neil Young is going to tell you that nothing sounds better than an LP. And the whole thing about dynamic range and all that kind of stuff, he's probably right. Mm-hmm. But the surface friction of the needle across the record and all of the imperfections that are inherent in the manufacturing process with the pops and the skips and crap like that, I still consider the CD to be superior to an LP for its durability. Mm-hmm. And then, so we, we, we achieve the, the CD, and then now we've started descending mm-hmm. to where the most popular audio w- way of listening to audio is a shitty file with low resolution through uh, 
either computer speakers that sound like shit or earbuds that sound like shit. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, it literally, I'm like, I'm like a caveman trying to understand this stuff, or I'm like <laughs> the, the RCA dog with his head tilted toward the speaker. I mean, I just, it totally baffles me why anybody would want to pay money for something like that. So why? Why do they? Convenience? Is that it? Does convenience trump everything? What is it? To me, yeah. I mean, I know. I, I was, you know, when we first started this podcast, uh, I was using Spotify, which is a free service that you can also subscribe to so that you can get, you know, music streamed to your iPad and computer and all that. And I've now just recently switched to Mog, M-O-G, which is the same service, just different company. And you again subscribe. You, it's a free service, but you can also subscribe so you can get it to your computer and mobile devices. But you now have, I, I have at my fingertips at any moment of any time, as long as I have an internet connection and even then I can download things into my iPad where I pretty much have the entire breadth and scope of all recorded music on available to me at any moment. That's awesome. For someone who loves music, the fact that I can at any moment, if I just want to hear a song, click, 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 boom, it's now in my head. I mean, it, that's absolutely worth every single penny. And it doesn't have to be the most pure and special audio sound. It just has to be that song that I wanted to hear. Or it just has to be, you know what, I, I read this thing about this, you know, I was reading in, you know, Rolling Stone, they had a review, and I'm like, well, I wonder what that sounds like. Click, click, boom, now it's on, now I'm playing it. I mean, it's just absolutely, you know, to me, sound quality is not perfection. S- songs are perfection. I mean, when I hear a great song, I can hear it in lossless audio, and I can hear it in MP3, and I can still be moved by the emotion of the song not the uh, quality of the sound. Now, guys that are our age, since we came up in an era that did not have this tremendous access to mm-hmm. music, uh, are coming at it from a, a slightly different perspective. So imagine, though, that you are someone who has been raised with this. Uh, I believe that it makes it a lot harder to be a fan of anything in particular. I don't know... If I were a young person today with this overload of stuff at my fingertips and also the, you know, the singles oriented culture, mm-hmm. if I would have become the fan of Todd Rundgren that I am to where I went out and bought all of Todd Rundgren's albums and identify myself first and foremost as a Todd Rundgren fan or a Brian Wilson fan mm-hmm. and the things that are such a part of my life that I almost feel like they're a part of my DNA. And I, I feel like young people today, because of, number one, the singles-driven culture, the fact that albums just don't even seem to matter anymore, and yeah. then this idea that you know artists are not people that you form relationships with. They're just guys that have made some of the sonic wallpaper that you can dial up at a random time, that mm-hmm. it really dilutes the experience of being a music fan. So am I wrong? Well, I, I think, to me, these music services are... Are, I don't know, I don't know how they can support themselves because I can't see that there's a huge market unless you really love music. Because to me, we, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, the idea that modern music and culture is losing context. Where to me, you know, 
I love the fact that one, the reason I switched to uh, Mog was that they have a feature that Spotify doesn't where you can pick an artist and it will play you not just the the songs of the artist. It won't just play you Stevie Ray Vaughan. It will play you similar artists of Stevie Ray Vaughan. So you can now discover new artists or different artists that are like, you know, the ones you sort of, if you're listening to Steve Ray Vaughan, they may play you Buddy Guy, they may play you Lightning Hopkins, they may play you, you know, Sun House, you know, they, some influence, they may play you modern things like, you know, a, a, a Johnny Lang or, you know, an Eric Gales, so that you can now find something else that you like as much as that in that same concept. And I think, to me, I, I love that feature. I love the fact that if I, you know, love an artist, but I don't really know, you know, similar types of artists, you know, uh, if I know, I, I like Superchunk, and I don't really know who else sounds like them, so if I can click on this and get some other ideas of artists, you know, maybe, you know, there are similar label artists, or maybe similar uh, genre artists, I, I think that's a great idea, but I don't know how useful that is to, you know, modern times, I mean, to me, you know, if someone is, you know, really loves uh, LMAFO, you know. Number one, they, number one, they should be shot. <laughs> well, but if they click similar artists, fucking, man, there's so many people that sound you know, similar. It's like, eh. You know, I, I don't feel that there's a, a lot of uh, character difference in pop Top 40 right now. Uh, um, nor do I. In fact, and I, we can t- touch on that briefly, then I'm going to get back to something else. Because I actually, you know, I... I haven't listened to the radio, like a top 40 radio station in 15 years, I don't know, <laughs> and found myself, uh, we, we had to borrow a vehicle, and it was one of these things where it was, rather than screw around with the radio presets, just let the station that was already pre-programmed <laughs> let it play, and it happened to be the top 40 kitty station, teeny bopper <laughs> station, and it was like that tight playlist where literally like we drove to the grocery store and we heard about five songs going to the grocery store, and then when we were driving home from the grocery store, one of the songs that we heard when we were driving to the grocery store, we heard again. Oh, yeah. And uh, they uh, they all sounded uh, very similar with the, the kind of the propulsive, uh, what you and I would identify with as clubby beats. Mm-hmm. And the really thick, uh, syrupy synths, kind of like from uh, Usher's Yeah, you know that that kind of a syrupy, heavy synth sound. I'm glad to know I don't really know anything about Usher. And then uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, and then the the lyrics, whether they're male or they're female, run run through auto tune within an inch of their life. <laughs> And I'm as I'm having this conversation in my head, thinking I'm about ready to tell myself that these songs all sound alike, and I'm thinking to myself, that's something that my mother would have said to the stuff that I was listening to when I was listening to the radio. And then I'm thinking about it even more critically, and I'm because you know I never want to assume that my experience, you know, I, I I'm not I'm I'm a big believer in the similarities between the experiences of the generations that there's you know more similarities than there are dissimilarities. Mm-hmm. So I try to tell myself, is this just because I'm old and it's music is not made for me? But then I think about the music that I was mm-hmm. listening to when I was coming up in my formative years. And on my Top 40 station, I'm hearing Betty Davis' eyes, which sounded incredibly new wave. I'm hearing Up Where We Belong, which is an incredibly heartfelt ballad. I'm hearing mm-hmm. Journey, which has guitars and is a lot more rock. I, it just seems like there was a lot more... Variety. You, you had a flock of seagulls, which was hardcore new wave. You had Melissa Manchester and Sheena Easton, who at that 
time in their careers were singing big Streisandish ballads, and they were all on the charts together. Mm-hmm. So I really, sorry, folks, maybe I'm deluded, but I really do think that music sucks more now. I think there's less the it's the state of radio where they are trying to figure out how best to get somebody who's only going to listen to a station while they're going to the uh, market. You know, uh, if they're going to go to the grocery store and they're only going to be in there for 10 minutes, how do you best do how do you best uh advertise to that person? Yeah. Play, you know, the most uh generically similar songs that so that you don't change the channel. And I think, you know, there's plenty of variety out there. I mean, even bands that I don't really like that much, you know, if you go from uh the Decemberists to uh Jingle Bells to uh uh the Shins, you know, you you, you can those are very different artists. But how much do they get played on the radio? I mean, I think nowadays, if you're listening to actual terrestrial radio in your local markets and not Pandora or Slacker or something like that, you're getting a very, uh, you're, you're getting the 1%. You know, the 99% you're getting 1% of what is really out there. And I think that's great if you're listening to a, you know, a MOG or a Spotify where you can you know, listen to a different range of stuff. And maybe you can lead from, you know, something else to something else. But well, that's radio uh, isn't going to do it. Right. And that, that kind of brings me back to the point that I did want to make and kind of, you know, get back to the whole idea of these, you know, these, these streaming services, you know, like Spotify and, and Mog and, you know, you know uh, Pandora to a different extent, mm-hmm. is that if they're used as a substitute for radio, what's crazy is I don't have a problem with it because I do realize that uh, commercial radio, it blows. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And so people need another way of sampling music these days. And I have no problem if the streaming services fill that role. Yeah. What, what mortally offends me is when those streaming services are taking the place of record collections. That just drives me up a frickin' wall. <laughs> And once again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to tell everybody that they're wrong. I'm just, I'm expressing to you how much it bugs me and how wrong I feel it is. And I know I'm completely out of step. Well, no, I think your concept may be, uh, like to me, uh, my record collection is basically everything. You know, now you can favorite an artist or favorite an album and go right back to it. So if I wanted to, you know, favorite all of Todd Rundgren's things, and you can also download them so you can play them offline. I can download his whole catalog and have it there so that I can listen to it whenever I want, and it's just like going out to buy it. And I, I think that's that's the best part, is that, you know, you might read a review of one of those Todd Rundgren albums, say on the All Music app, like we'll be using later on our game <laughs> show, uh, and you might, you know, say, oh, well, they're referencing and they're saying it's kind of like this, and you know, and that, you know, uh, some this artist played on that album. And you're like, oh, well, I wonder what he sounds like, you know, I, and, and then then you can go in there and instead of going, well, I I, I want to hear what that other guy sounds like, but I don't want to go out and spend, you know. Ten bucks on an album to maybe listen to it and see if I like it. But now with technology, 
you can just go over, click, you know, click two times, and suddenly you're listening to it. And you may love it. You may find out your new best friend is this guy or this band. And I think that, uh, is wonderful. I mean, I, I love the fact that if you like music, you can learn how to love music. Every now and again, uh, Rolling Stone will put out an issue with, for whatever reason, the new releases for that issue. There's like five, six, seven albums that I'm like, that sounds like something I might like. Mm-hmm. And um, what I do is go to YouTube yeah. and and type in the artist. And if there's a particular song that's been mentioned in the review, I'll type in that song. And that that's, that's, how, same that's how I listen to stuff now to dis- to audition it before I want to buy it. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, when I was when I was younger, there were a lot of albums that I bought. Uh, you know, sight unheard. You know, oh sight, yeah, sight unseen. Oh, totally. Because I would, I would cut out bins, going there and just picking an album because yeah. you like the look or, of it, or, or read a review of a new album and just yeah. go, "This sounds really cool." Red Warrior, and uh. and, and I'm, <laughs> so I'm going to get it. So yeah, I, I remember quite distinctly that uh, the first Enough's Enough album I bought without ever hearing a single note of it and loved that album. And the same thing with the Pursuit of Happiness, uh, just based on the review. I mean, when they said Van Halen plays the Raspberry Songbook. I was like, I've got to have this. Um, and so sometimes it works out. But, you know, now that I'm older and I have to spend my money on stupid bullshit like life insurance and stuff like that, I have to be a bit more careful about what I actually spend my money on. And so mm-hmm. I do, you know, find myself kind of auditioning things. You know, when I was a real young kid, back when I was only buying my... uh my music with like birthday money and Christmas money that I had accrued over the course of a year. My rule was that uh, an album had to have three singles that I had actually heard on the radio before I would buy the album. And then when I got into college and had a job and stuff, then I, that's when I started doing really crazy shit like I've I've read this review. It sounds good. Hell, I'm going to buy it. There you go. <laughs> um. So uh, I have one more. I have another technology-related topic I wanted to get into. But before mm-hmm. we close the loop on this, I wanted to give you an opportunity if there was any other thoughts that you had about kind of the course the conversation has taken up till now. Uh, no, I think that's you know I I, uh, I think we've covered I've covered my bases with that. Okay, so then the second part of it is um, something that you had said right before we uh, went on the air that I find so funny because. Uh, it, it echoes something that another friend of ours who actually works in computers mm-hmm. hates Facebook. <laughs> and you also say that you hate Facebook. So you're yeah. Mr. Technology. He's Mr. Technology. You both hate Facebook. I am not Mr. Technology. I hate technology, and I love Facebook. <laughs> What's that about? Um, I don't find the minutia of other people's lives that interesting. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I don't find the minutia of my life that interesting, let alone, you know, what other people. And I only have, you know, 30 people on my thing, which is, I'm, I'm, from everything I can guess, is ridiculously you're, small. You're I mean, everyone much, else you're, is you're 105,000. Yeah, you're a recluse. You know, you're pretty yeah. much a recluse. I, 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 I don't, I don't that. want, I, 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 you know, not that I don't love the people on my thing, <laughs> but I don't really, you know, I don't know. I, I find it as something that I would want to read every so often. Go there, see what they've been doing, catch up with them, you know, virtually, you know, once in a while, 
but it's not an everyday thing for me. It's certainly not, you know, a constantly everyday sort of thing. I, I just, you know, there just isn't that much going on in anybody's life that I find that important. And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, trying to scroll through a timeline list of news items from like 500 people that I, I can't imagine caring that much about 500 people. So, but, you know, it's, I, I, I think the technology is great, but as far as my own use for it, eh. I, uh, what I, I think, you know, at, at its essence, one of the main things that I love about it is how it allows you to customize the size of your actual world. Because now it allows me to interface on a daily basis with people who maybe live very far away. And so Mm -hmm. I am no longer, uh, my close uh, emotional friendships are no longer dictated by uh, geography. They can now be dictated by the actual cool people in my life that I've met that I want to stay in touch with. So that's that's a very important component to me. And then secondarily, I'm also the kind of person that have I've had a lot of people walk in and out of my life for you know it, it happens. You know the people that you know when you're 40 are not necessarily the people you you know when you're 18. Mm-hmm. But you never stop thinking about those people you knew when you were 18. And so now I know what they're up to. <laughs> and I'm able to talk to them, and I I love that because it it has solved a lot of that mystery. I know they're okay. I know that we still, you know, in many cases, have things in common. We can still communicate about things, and so I just love how it has. Um, yeah, and share it, pictures. I <laughs> I love how it has eliminated um, fate and geography from uh, from dictating our our relationships. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's. I, there's a lot of people that I have, you know, had lots of various different jobs and various different people that I've met and stuff. And yeah, I, I do, you know, I would say I wonder what those people are doing, but I don't know that, again, it's one of those things where I would be interested in knowing what they're doing, but maybe not every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I need like a weekly Facebook update, you know, just throw me the highlights and then I'll move on. So you need Rolling Stone. Yes, to be your information gatekeeper. I need I need Facebook to come out with a uh, you know uh, right now uh, Distro is the weekly version of uh, Engadget's blog, which they now put out in a digital form and it's on the newsstand on iTunes. Great magazine format, just gives you the highlights of the week in technology. Perfect for me. Someone wants to give me the you know the Facebook version of that weekly highlight, throw it out to me and I'll be fine. And I think I don't think my life's interesting enough that everyone needs to read what I do every day either, because I, I think it goes both way. I don't need to know that they just you know had cornflakes for breakfast, and they don't need to know how big my last dump was. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is uh, how few people actually post about the muffin that they had for breakfast. I mean, usually you find out more stuff about their thoughts on. Uh, uh, social issues. You know, the, am I am I off? Am I on? Am I no, still on. Am I still here? Yep. Thought, thought I thought, thought thought you lost me. <laughs> uh, what's been going on in Florida with uh, Trayvon Martin has uh, been getting a lot of a lot of uh, discussion on Facebook. So you've got that kind of stuff. And then there's also uh, kind of life events. You know, finding out you know what, if people have been accepted to grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people talk about. You know what their children are up to, 
which you know, that's a double-edged sword. Sometimes that's fun. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, do you have your own life? Uh, so, but I, I get very few of the, uh, you know, I had a bran muffin for breakfast and then took a seven-ounce dump. Out. I waited. I scooped it out, <laughs> put it on the counter. Six point five? No, seven. Check. <laughs> well, I think I've said my piece. Uh, oh, I, I didn't really even get to talk about my rant on e-readers, though. Oh yeah, I think that I think that uh, e-readers are the single dumbest, most insulting piece of technology. To come around, I, I really don't freaking understand e-readers. I, I posted a, a pretty cool rant on my own personal uh, Facebook page, so very few of these listeners have actually probably uh, <laughs> these listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you probably have not heard this, and I can't really remember it from memory. But the basic idea of it is is that an e-reader, okay, it's it's not smaller than a book. So okay, you know, I mean, books were already portable. You could already take them wherever you wanted to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, books are everywhere. You can buy them in the drugstore. You can buy them in the grocery store. You can buy them at some gas stations. Okay. So it's not like you know. Oh my God, where am I going to find books? <laughs> uh, books are relatively cheap. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. What I mean. So the e-reader, for one thing, e-readers cost anywhere from like eighty to two hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a personal seat license. Where remember, remember the NFL was doing that thing where you had Still to doing it. By the you way. had to buy a personal seat license, which just gave you the right to buy tickets. So now you've got to spend that much money for a personal seat license just for the right to buy books. Okay, so it's sort of like if you walked into your local bookstore and said you wanted to buy a book, and they said, "Well, give me two hundred dollars first, then you can buy a book." Okay, so there's that. <laughs> um, if you drop a book. You just pick it back up. If you drop an e-reader, you go buy another e-reader. I just don't freaking get it. It's like the guys in Silicon Valley weren't even trying anymore. They were just like, oh, people will buy this shit. Well, uh, I did buy one for my for my <laughs> folks this Christmas, and my mom does thoroughly love it. Um, now... You know, I, I don't exactly know, you know, why she loves it more than books, but she read a lot of books to begin with. And I know that, you know, it's thinner and lighter than a normal book. You can, you can hold it in one hand and move it without having to, uh, flip the pages. It can be read in direct sunlight and still look good. And, um, it was a Kindle, one of the, the smaller Kindle ones. So, and she says it's not that much bigger than a, a book that she would put in her purse anyway. And uh, there's lots of content available for it that is usually relatively cheap, which is what they used to do before, where they would just go out and buy like, you know, quarter paperbacks. So, I think it's a. Uh, the reason I bought it was that I thought they would get tons of use out of it, but they would never buy it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think they have, you know, said that that is the kind of thing where, yes, they do love it. It is awesome technology. It's simple and easy and wonderful, and they never would have bought it for themselves. Very cagey move, dragging your mother into this, by the way. (laughs) I love your mother. She's a lovely woman, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, your mother's an idiot. (laughs) No, I'm just waiting for that. (laughs) 
mean, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but, but everyone else is a shithead. <laughs> the, but the, argu- the arguments that I, the arguments that I do hear for it, number one, is the convenience mm-hmm. of being able to just download a book and have it there immediately. Okay, number one, if you've got an internet connection, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, as we discussed, generally you're no more than a hundred feet from a book. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think is one of the things that my folks have is that. Where they live in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a you know a, a you know the mountains where they you know they can be two hours away from a major city, you know instead you can just sit at home and you know pick out books for them that's yeah. that's you know and something that, but that's not that's not at all the case for many people who buy these things. And then the second one is well I, it's it's small and I can carry multiple books with me. I had somebody that I that worked with somebody I work with says well when I go on vacation I like to read. And so now I can pack my e-reader and I have taken a thousand books with me on my vacation. And my reply to her was and you'll still only read one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Although you could share it with a, you know, a spouse or something and maybe have two or three books or even with kids. And that's another thing with these things is it makes it a lot harder to loan a book to a friend. I know there's allegedly some kind of a thing where you can like loan files or whatever to people, but it's, mm-hmm. it's that whole thing of technology taking the control out of the hands of the user. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a book. I mean, this is why this has been pushed on us. This is why this is a dream, because when you buy a CD, you own that CD, and you can make copies of that CD for yourself. When you own an audio file, you own that one audio file, and if you want to do something else with it, you have to buy another audio file. That's why these companies love this and are shoving it down our throats, and it's the Mm -hmm. same thing with the book. When you buy a book, you own that book. And if you want to loan it to somebody, you can loan it. If you want to sell it and get some money, you can do that. When you buy that file, you're stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. And as you know, uh, I, I do believe in artists getting paid. You know, I mean, there's a uh, I have in the past downloaded, you know, illegally files. You know, the Uh-oh. music files and all. It, it happens. You know, when you when you give someone the technology and then tell them don't use it or, you know, we'll charge you an arm and a leg for the same thing, you know, why, uh, why say, you know, we want to charge you 120 bucks for the Pink Floyd box set or there's a way on your computer that you can go download the entire thing for free. Most people will choose the free option, but with a you know a service like a Mog or a Spotify, I pay money, a monthly fee, to do the exact same thing. Only now it's legal. I'd rather pay for the legal way to get all the music I want than instead going <coughs> to a you know a shady place on the internet to uh, you know buy and you know find stuff illegally. A shady place on the internet. How much time do we have left to play our game? Ooh, we're just at 40, so we're good. We probably should get started on that because we're trying to hold true to that 60, 60 minute, minutes. what seems to be the 60 minute attention span. So we're going to play the An Doug hour Benson. Of us. We're going to play the, uh, the Doug Benson game, which right. is based on 
a game that uh, uh, pothead and comedian Doug Benson does on his podcast about movies where you uh, take turns reading a review of a movie, taking out certain things like, you know, actors and, and things, and, and try to guess what it is. Well, we're doing that with uh, with albums. So we're going to take turns reading a review of albums and uh, see if the other oh, yeah. can well, guess. How about, how about this topic be soft rock? Soft rock. All right. So we did this on the last show, and I unfortunately, sadly, kicked Nick's oh, killed me. ass. <laughs> I guessed two out of my three. Nick did not get a single one of his three. So he's looking for some redemption here. Soft rock. All right. Here we and go. These reviews come from where? We probably should make this all nice oh, yes. and tidy. And, and this is the All Music by Rovi app, available on iTunes. Okay. Okay, here we go. From 1980 to 1984, the Billboard chart could have been dubbed the This Group chart for their seemingly never-ending assault of number one singles. Amazingly, they never had a number one album. However, after this album and their live, uh, this previous album and their live pre-sabbatical album, the one of the lead singers again embarked on his solo album for six or seven years, and the overblown this album and was born. <laughs> yeah, sorry, can't, what? Can't, 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 really, can't really read that because then it'll give everything away. Uh, they returned to Arista in 1988 and delivered this album. This, so this album came out in '88. Correct. So this is Ooh Yeah by Hall and Oates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Alright. My god, that's a that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Soft rock has a lot of people. It certainly does. <laughs> This album finds this artist fully embracing horn-driven pop music, drum machines, and sentimental ballads over his previous darker and more dramatic solo material. Hmm. The record established him as a major commercial force and is one of the most recognizable voices of the 1980s. Hmm. Although the major hits here quickly came to sound dated the album contains several standout tracks some of these tracks show an effective aggressive side to the singer it's not a completely satisfying recording but it is one of the best examples of one of the most dominating and influential styles of the 1980s oh my gosh a horn driven album from a guy who used to be darker. Wow. Horn-driven 80s seminal. Boy, you'd think I could be 
reaction at this because I really. <laughs> What's so funny about this is this was Nick's idea. He sends me an email. He's like, I've got this great idea for something that we can do, and the people that listen to the podcast can kind of play along with this, and so it's going to be dynamic and it's going to be really cool. And he has just really uh, sucked at it. <laughs> Well, you know, but that's good because the home audience is now going, boy, I'm way better at this than he is. Holy crap. I am making them feel like geniuses. Um, boy, I, horn driven rock, 80s. I am drawing a complete, uh, Eddie Money? <laughs> oh my god, Nick. No jacket required by Phil Collins. Horn driven. Okay. Okay. Susudio. Okay. I wouldn't call that horn-driven, though, I guess. And more darker. Not as dark as his Not previous. as dark as his previous. Hmm. Okay, that was a excellent album. I, no, yeah. Yeah, wow. I really love Take Me Home. I haven't heard that in a while. Hmm. And he put out... Uh, he's one of the few artists that uh, uh, released a compilation album of his 12-inch remixes. Because, you know, the 12-inch oh, remix... Yeah. The 12-inch remix has become this kind of, like, other 80s thing, because so many of them are, were not reissued no one does on, that anymore, right? on I mean, CD. And so he's got an album that's called 12-inchers, and it is six remixes from that album, so it's it's a great you know, great thing to have. <laughs> and the remix of Take Me Home is, is really good. All right, Nick is going to... I'm scrolling on. Scrolling on. Scrolling along. Serve up the next... Light Rock album review. Okay. All right. After two albums, this artist had one hit and a burgeoning cult following, plus growing respect as a hit-making record producer. There's no question he was busy, but as it turns out, all this work only scratched the surface of his ambition. He decided to (laughs) abandon the previous album's pretense and recorded a full double album by himself. Uh, Listening to this is a mind-altering trip into itself. No matter how many instantly memorable, shamelessly accessible pop songs are scattered throughout the album, he's figured it out. <laughs> Todd Rundgren, something, anything. Yes! <laughs> oh my... Well, I found something you're really good at. <laughs> I'm taking you on the road and making money off you or something. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, back up one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Nick. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, no, you might not know album titles for that guy. Artistically and commercially, this lineup of this legendary band had been on a roll for over a decade when this album was released. This would unfortunately be a key member's last album with this supergroup, and he definitely ended his association with the band on a creative high note. Serving as the album's main producer, he gives an edgy quality to everything that he touches on this album. Although he does not overproduce, his thoughtful use of synthesizers is a major asset. 
Without question, two of the tracks on here are among the best songs ever written by him, who consistently brings out the best in his colleagues on this superb album. I was expecting a lot more from that review. Wow, I was I, right up until you said, you know, something about uh, bringing in the synths. I thought I thought it was going to be uh, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, but uh, yeah, that that's that's where I was going with it. It's actually Fleetwood Mac's Tango in the Night. Ah, oh. and so that was Lindsay, and he used he used uh, synths on that. Wow. Yeah, that's that. That was kind of a shit review. <laughs> I didn't know that was the last album. I I, I thought he was, oh well. That was before he you know left. Mm-hmm. He came back, but well, yeah, they always come back for the money. I don't know if you heard the latest that uh, Mick Fleetwood is saying that 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 uh, he's ticked because Stevie won't end her solo tour and uh, tour with Fleetwood Mac. Why do they bother keep getting back hey, we together? Got, we, we got we got oh, another round to go there, buddy. Oh, yeah. oh good. Don't you be folding up that iPod, <laughs> iPad, Maxi Pod. <laughs> hmm. Gonna have to write some Mia Mystery Think music. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. <laughs> I probably have some on there. Oh, I'm, ooh, I mean, I'm, maybe I'll bed this. <laughs> That'd probably be a good idea. I got a bunch of tracks I've been working on. So, uh, all right. Let me make sure this is the album I'm thinking of. Oh, hell no! That is definitely not the album I was thinking of. So we're in the. Uh, let's go that. I was. <laughs> I realized there weren't any tracks on that thing, but really, that wasn't. That wasn't it either. Okay, let me try. This has got to be just great for people to listen to. <laughs> you talking to yourself while you're scrolling through the uh, iPad. Boy. Okay, I definitely picked the wrong artist. <laughs> Pardon me, I need to go backwards. <laughs> Well, I realized I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, I don't recognize any of these song titles. And so, to, so to recap where we were at on the last show at this point, after uh, each of us had read two, uh, I had missed one and got one. Nick had missed two. Hmm. So at, it was it was one to nothing. We ended up being two to nothing. Right now, I've gotten two in a row. Nick does not have any. I'm going <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get be perfect, if I can get my third one here. And then Nick will have a chance at redemption after this <laughs> to see if he can get one. I can do it. I can do it. Maybe. He still hasn't I found... Just, I, I'm looking for... Okay, maybe it's that. He's trying to find something by Lady Smith Black Mombazo, so that it really <laughs> throws me a curveball. Well, no, it's just... You know, it's kind of one of those things where you know some of the songs by the artist, but then you're not really sure what the uh, what albums they're on. And well, especially since a lot of soft rock artists are not really known for their album titles. That, exactly. That makes it I, hard, too. I know that's pretty pretty tough, but wow. Okay, well, I, I'm just going to go for this one. And Remember, you picked this category, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, well, I, I thought it'd be, you know, a little bit easier than this, but 
It's not quite as easy. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a shot. We'll okay. see how it goes. I was going to say, we might be going over an hour whether we want to or not. <laughs> All right. Having acknowledged a certain creative desperation on the previous album, this artist lowered his sights and raised his commercial appeal considerably with this album, which was more of a concept album about the road than an actual live album. <laughs> Jackson Brown running on empty. <laughs> Very good. <sighs> All right, hand it over for your last one. <laughs> Let's see if I can serve up a tater for you. <laughs> oh, my God, Nick. You're killing me. It's really no fun when it's not a fair fight. Well, I'm all, I'm getting close on them. I mean, you know, I, I've gotten the artists, but not the album titles. I got Foreigner last time, but not the but not Foreigner Four, and I got Fleetwood Mac, but not Tango in the Night, and I got Ozzy Osbourne, but I didn't get the. Uh... Actually, that was our practice one. Oh yeah, that's okay. That was. That so was I don't even fair. know about that one. All right, this singer songwriter's 1980 screen turn. As a charismatic singer torn between two worlds spawned this phenomenally successful soundtrack album. Six uh, million copies and counting. This artist's then 21st century resurgence as a walking item of kitsch sparked renewed interest in some of the bombastic music contained herein. Beyond some of the notable singles, however... This is an album of passable pop songs that stand on the edge of disco and in the grip of melodrama. Okay. I'm trying to, trying to scope this thing so I'm not... Uh-oh. Oh, no. What just happened? Were you, were you, getting, were you getting anywhere with that? Um... Well, up until the part about the 21st century kitsch, uh, it sounded to me like you were going to go with Rick Springfield's Hard to Hold soundtrack. Okay, I'm not even going to... I'm going to pretend I didn't hear you say that because <laughs> you've been... But then, yeah, 21st century kitsches, that doesn't... That doesn't appeal... That doesn't sound like him at all. You've been sucking so bad... <laughs> You're going to have to like do some heavy editing here because I've really screwed something up here. <laughs> we'll play lots of wonderful music in the background. Although I guess it's kind of appropriate that on the episode where I finally come clean about how much I hate technology, hate technology. <laughs> you can all see how much technology hates me right back. <sighs> it's just, you know, we, we kind of made an agreement with this that we were, we were going to try to cut out the glaringly obvious stuff like song titles and whatnot from these reviews. So I was in the process of doing that, and I was scrolling up to uh, read the balance of the review so I could kind of figure out what I needed to cut out, and something went nuts. 
Okay, uh, this song, which was not a single, is Hyper and is dressed up with an audio clip marking the film's embarrassing blackface sequence, while the album's midsection sags with songs that shine like sunset strip billboards, yet lack any real substance. Swelling strings and lovely lyrics abound, but it all seems directionless, as if this artist is just going through the motions. Similarly... Jewish traditionals are important as thematic elements, but removed from the film and in the context of other open-collar glitzy numbers, their reverence is off-putting. As it's aged, this soundtrack album has come to mark the moment when this artist fully embraced his soft rock audience and completely turned his back on the ambition and spine-tingling vocal presence of his early career. That decision certainly proved to be an economic winner, but it ignored the fact that his most resonant performances rarely tear into a song with true mirth. This album's big hits have this quality, a fact not lost on a new generation of listeners who revel in this singer's powerful voice and showmanship. But the album's bulk is as wooden as this artist's acting. Wow. I got to tell you right now, everybody listening to this is screaming the title at you. I mean, <laughs> soft rock, 1980, Jewish, blackface. I don't remember the blackface, but I'm going to say Neil Diamond, um, um, the singer, uh, um, uh, yeah, singer, uh, um, um, <laughs> yeah. Neil Diamond, um, the wedding singer? No. <laughs> um, Nick! Tal Jolson song? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. X. The jazz singer. Jazz singer. So close! Oh. I got all parts of that except for <laughs> jazz. Jazz. <laughs> okay, so. I guess I do. I, I remember seeing that when I was way too young to uh, I probably sh- should have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I was perfect, <laughs> and uh, you were the opposite of perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. You still, you still glad you brought up this idea? <laughs> I still think it's entertaining. I, I, I may not be good at it, but I still find it entertaining. <laughs> and hopefully, the listeners do also. Let us know. Do you like the Doug Benson game? <laughs> we got to give this thing a better name. All right, tell us your Live Aid stories. We're looking for your remembrances of what you did that day, who you saw it with, if you watched it alone, what kind of an impact it had on your day, your favorite memories of actually, you know, the, the show itself, favorite artists, performances, stuff like that, uh, what the event has meant to you over the years. Uh, it's been called Our Generation's Woodstock, and one billion of us were there. So... Uh, you can put your uh, stories on our Facebook page. Uh, go to Facebook and look up me and Mr. 80s. Or send us an email at mr 80s at rocketmail.com. M-I-S-T-E-R-8-0-S at rocketmail.com. Uh, and you can also contact us, uh, either one of those places, just about any kind of uh, fun stuff. Yeah, show topics, ideas, uh, genres you want us to uh, play on the Doug Benson game. Go for it. We love it all. Yeah. Pick Jimi Hendrix so Nick has a chance of winning. <laughs> so, <laughs> albums that only Nick will know. That will be the next topic. 
<laughs> so I guess we say uh, good night, 80s character actor. I need somebody. Um, boy, that you haven't mentioned. That's yeah. we're we're running out of people now that you've. You know, I'm sure there's got to be. Um, uh, Ron Howard's brother. <laughs> All right. Good night, Clint Howard. Wherever you are.